Now, how many of you enjoyed Lester's message last week? Yeah, I think it was amazing. It's very personal, it's very applicable. Uh, but this morning, I want to continue on the same theme of uh, making our faith relevant uh, wherever we are. And tonight, to this morning, I speak to you corporately as a church. Okay, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. I read for you verses 13 to 16. So if you're ready with the word, let's go. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, and if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town hidden on a hill cannot be, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. But instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, I pray this morning that you will anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word uh, clearly so that your people can understand what your Holy Spirit is saying. And Lord, I, I pray that you will just allow your servant to just speak without holding anything back, but let your people know what your heart is. So we commit this time to you. Speak as the servants heareth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in this passage, which is very familiar, and most of us have probably read it before, heard sermons from it before, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 onwards, Jesus actually said two distinct things about us as His disciples, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. And the two distinct things, the, the two distinct things He said about us are this. Number one, you are the salt of the earth. The second thing is, you are the light of the world. So every one of us, salt of the earth, light of the world. And you know, this word, the pronoun used there, you, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, is in plural, which means it's speaking to us corporately, not just individually, but corporately, that together we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Now, the, that's your identity. That's my identity. And the first thing you need to know is that the influence of salt and light is not just based on what we say. It's not just based on what we do, but it is simply by being who we are. You see why? Because what makes salt and light work is simply by being present. Isn't that right? Just by being present the effects are already felt, you see? And, and so what makes salt and light work is simply by being there. It is the, their distinctiveness that makes them special. So what's my point? My point is this. Your presence, brothers and sisters, wherever God has placed you makes a difference. Salt and light affects the environment simply by being there. Right? So let us prepare to be salt and light. And this is a challenge I want to bring to all of us. We, all of us need to be salt and light, but we must 
first prepare to be salt and light by understanding very clearly and very contextually what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And what I hope to do is open your eyes to see some new things. I know we have all heard sermons from here. I hope that I can give you something fresh. So let's look at salt and light. What does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be light one at a time, okay? So what did Jesus mean by saying that we are the salt of the earth? Now, all of us agree, right? We tend to bring our own paradigms into our reading of the Scriptures. You know, when, when we read the Scriptures, we bring our own paradigms into it. For example, the moment I say you are the salt of the earth, when you think about salt, we immediately, where, where does our mind go to? When, when I say that you are salt of the earth, where does your mind go to? Immediately, our mind goes to the kitchen. Am I right? Because that's where you find salt, right, in our world. Uh, it, immediately we think of kitchen. The moment you say you are the salt of the earth, your mind goes to Jamie Oliver, right? Your mind goes to Master Chef because that's how we understand salt. See, so most sermons that I've heard on salt and light will talk about how we, we are preservation, we are preservative, you know, we, we are the flavor of this world, etc. Uh, which is what we do with salt in cooking. Okay, if you think of salt as in cooking salt, then that's what we think about. It, it preserves, you know, it flavors things. And, and I don't think it's wrong. I think that's, that's not wrong. But is this what Jesus had in mind? That's the question we need to ask. Is this what Jesus had in mind when he said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world? Because the moment you think cooking salt, then just a sprinkling of salt will make all things right. But you know what I discovered? I discovered that the Gospel of Luke actually defines specifically for us what Jesus had in mind when he talks about the salt of the earth. In the context of discipleship, Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, listen to this, he said, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, but it is thrown out. So what did Jesus have in mind when he said, you are the salt of the earth? I don't think he's thinking about the kitchen. You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about the field and he's thinking about a manure pile. He said, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It is no longer fit for use, whether in the, uh, for the soil nor for the manure pile. So he, that's what he was thinking about. So listen to me, brothers and sisters, when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you know what he had in his mind? He was actually talking about salt that is not used in the kitchen, but salt that is used as fertilizer in the field, and it is used as disinfectant in the toilet. Hello? You with me? You, you cannot miss this because it has a lot of implication. And I think when we think of it that way, it is more in line with what is going on culturally and geographically during the time of Jesus. Remember, if any one of you go to Israel, remember there is a body of water in Israel called the Dead Sea. Anyone been there before? The Dead Sea, right? Now, if you go to the Dead Sea, you will understand this, that the, the Dead Sea has such a high content of salt that you can literally float in the water without swimming. You know, you effortlessly you float. So that's why I believe a lot of is, 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 Israelite people can't swim because, you know, they don't need to learn how to swim. They just float, you know. And, and that's, that's uh, the salt content is so high. 
See, that people just float. And, this, this, and what happened is, the salt content of this sea is so high, in fact, that if anyone been to Israel, one of the first things the tour guide will tell you is when you go and visit the Dead Sea, don't put your face into the water. Am I correct to say that? They always tell you, don't put your face in the water. Why? Because the salt content is so high, it will stink your eyes so badly, you could go blind. That's how high it is. And during the summer, what happens is that the water will evaporate even more. And then what happens is the salt will be left behind. All the water evaporates, there will be a huge amount of salt left behind along the shores in huge amounts. And then what, what will happen is the, the salt merchants will come, collect all this salt, put them into bags, and then they sell them as fertilizer and they sell them as disinfectant in huge bags. That's how they see it. Salt that is collected from the Dead Sea is not just pure sodium chloride, which is cooking salt, but it, it can be a mixture of different types of salt, including potassium chloride or potash, which is actually used for fertilizer. So here's my point. Listen, salt is a great fertilizer. For what? To make good things grow. And you are the salt of the earth. And God plant you wherever you are so that you can make good things grow. But the other common usage of salt is salt as disinfectant in the manure pile. And when Jesus said yeah, it's no longer good for the manure pile, he's not talking about animal manure. He's talking actually about human waste. Okay, it's what we do in the toilet. And at that time, they don't have flush toilet, you understand? So how they do their business is after they do their business, they always have a box of salt next to them. So after they do their business, what do they do? They take a pile of salt and they throw it onto the manure. For what? It's so that it can disinfect it and it stop bad things from growing. You are the salt of the earth. And wherever God has placed you, what are you to do? You are supposed to make good things grow like fertilizer and you are supposed to stop bad things from growing because you are disinfectant. That's who we are. You put all that together, you got this very vivid picture of what Christians are meant to do. God plant us wherever we are, wherever we are needed in the marketplace, in our society, in the mission field to promote the growth of that which is good and to prevent the growth of that which is evil. And I think this is the powerful influence of the church as the salt of the earth. Somebody say amen. And we are going to do this not just by what we say, not just by what we do, but first and foremost by being who we are. That's who we are. We are fertilizer and we are disinfectant. Come on, turn to your neighbor now, wherever you are. Tell them, just remind them, you are fertilizer. Okay, you are disinfectant. Okay, you are salt of the earth. You are the fertilizer that make good things grow. And you are the disinfectant that stop bad things from growing. Now, what about the light of the world? You are also the light of the world, right? Now, understand, light also has its positive and its negative. The negative, the positive side of light is that light can display, light can show up what is good, what is right, what is beautiful. Am I right to say that? But there's also a negative, see? But the, the good part is where there is light, what is good, what is beautiful can be seen clearly. 
And when the Christian is walking in the light of Christ, we become a shining beacon that draws men to God. But the reverse is also true. Light can also expose what is wrong. Am I correct? Light can expose what is wrong. See, when the light comes on, what happened? All the cockroaches scatter. Why? Because darkness cannot stand the light. It exposes them. It confronts them. And this is what light does simply by being there. I think it's a vivid picture of what Christians are supposed to do so that the world can see. God plants you in your office, your school, your campus, your neighborhood, so that your presence as the light of the world will exhibit what is right and it exposes what is wrong. It points people to what is all the good that is in God and it steers people away from that which is evil and wicked. And that is why the Apostle Paul wrote these beautiful words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. Take a look at this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then what will happen? You will shine amongst them like stars as you hold firmly to the Word of God. Can you see that? We are supposed to be the light of this world. We, don't, we are different from the world. We don't do things grumbling and arguing, but we are blameless and pure. And then we shine like stars, holding out the Word of God. Now, now that you know who we really are, okay? We are salt of the earth, fertilizer to, to, to cause good things to grow. We are disinfectant that cause bad things, stop bad things from growing. Okay, we are the light of the world that exposes what is bad, but also exhibit what is good. So we know who we are now. Now, in the light of that, now that you know you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, I want to outline for you three requirements that will enable salt and light to really function well in this world. Okay, so here are the three requirements. Number one is this. I think in order to really function well as salt and light, we need, number one, to be the right quality. It needs to be the right quality. Okay? Can salt lose its saltiness? That was a rhetorical question that Jesus asked. Can salt lose its saltiness? Actually, um, physically speaking, it is not possible because salt cannot change its DNA. Salt is salt, right? In the same way, a born-again Christian has a new nature in Christ. How many of you know you got a new nature in Christ? And guess what? You cannot change that nature. That's who you are now in Christ. See, but the problem is not that our nature is changed, but rather it can be adulterated. See, our, our, our nature cannot change, but it can become mixed and tainted by the things of this world. And then you, you begin to, be, because you got mixed up with other things, then we are no longer distinctively different. You're no longer distinctly different. You, you, you with me? It's not that our nature has changed, but it's because we become adulterated. That's why the Apostle Paul always warned us in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with the world. He always tells us that. Don't be unequally yoked. Now, this does not mean that we are not to have any Christ, uh, non-Christian friends. No. In fact, we should. 
But when Jesus says, don't be unequally yoked, what does he mean? He, what he means is this, don't come under the same harness because that's what a yoke is, right? It is a farming instrument that put two oxen together so that they have to plow together. He said, don't come under the same harness as the world. Because once we do that, once we are yoked together, then we have to go in the same direction. You have to share the same purpose. Therefore, to be yoked together with the world means, means this, to become one with the world. It means we adopt their lifestyles, we accept their values, we subscribe to their methodology. And Jesus says, don't be unequally yoked with the world. Psalms 106, verse 35 and 36. Listen to this. I, I like this description they, about the, the people of God. They mingled with the nations and adopted their customs and they worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. So what is the Lord saying? He's saying to us, come out from amongst them and be ye separate. People of God, can I challenge you this morning? We need to realize afresh that you are a child of the living God, purchased with the supreme price and called to a life of holiness. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We have been raised with Christ, and now we should set our hearts on things above. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, so set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Once we lose our saltiness, once we are adulterated, then we can no longer influence positively, then we are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We have lost our distinctiveness and our ability to influence. We become so like the world that people no longer see the distinctiveness of Christ in us. Then our presence does not make a difference anymore. That's why Jesus said in verse 13, right? If salt has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Good question. Can I suggest something to you? When you read this passage, you notice that this passage on salt and light, it is sandwiched between two things. It's sandwiched between the Beatitudes and then after that comes the laws. Okay, so here's what I think. I think that the only way that we can become effective as salt is to go back to the Beatitudes and be the person that God has called us to be. Go back to the Beatitudes and live like Jesus said. That's the Magna Carta of the kingdom. See, and it's the same with light. Okay, when our light is dim, then how can the world see clearly? If, 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 if our light is shining clearly, then all we need to do, put it on a stand. If your light is bright, just put it on a stand and it will shine by itself and it will bring light to everyone in the house. It will naturally draw all men to God, and they will glorify Him in heaven. And the whole world can see. But if the light is hidden, if the light is dim, then it is of not much use. Then the world cannot see. You know, we used to sing this old song, I'm sure you all remember, Shine, Jesus, shine. Have you heard that song before? Now, shine, Jesus, shine. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful song, but I, I think one part is not so accurate. Actually, it's not shine, Jesus, shine. Jesus is always shining. It's you and I that never shine. So it should be shine, Jesus, uh, Christian shine. Not shine, Jesus, shine. Jesus is always shining. It's you and I that sometimes need to brighten our lamp a little bit. Are you with me? And how are we supposed to shine? It is by holding ourselves to a higher standard of morality. How do you be sought? 
I think you've got to be, live out the Beatitudes. How do you actually become the light of the world? It is by holding ourselves to a higher standard of morality. See, the world, what the world does is that it often lowers the moral standards to meet the people. We lower the moral standard to meet the culture. But Jesus is so counterculture. What he did was he raised the people to meet the moral standards of God. And it's not just about not doing bad things like steal, kill, and murder and all that. But you know what Jesus did? If you look at Matthew chapter 5 carefully, what Jesus did was this. He went back to outline the inner workings of the law. That's what he did. See, what, he, what Moses declared on the outside, Jesus went on to take it to the inside. So you read the rest of chapter 5. You know what it says? The law says, do not murder. But Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother, you already committed murder inside. See, the, the law says, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, if you just look at a woman with lust, you already committed adultery. See, what is he doing? He's taking the demands of the law on the outside, bringing it onto the inside. The law says, do not break your oath. What did Jesus say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't even need to swear. You just mean what you say, you say what you mean. Then he went on to even tell his disciples, do not worry even because worrying is a sin. And that is why none of us worry. Isn't that right? Yeah, correct. Jesus raised the standard of morality so high that I think it's impossible. It's almost become unnatural. And, and, and that's true. Because the truth is this. He never expected us to be able to do it in our own strength. He never expected us to do it by our willpower. We need the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word. That's what we need. And this is the only way that the world can see. And that's why it's so powerful. It's not just our doing, it's our being. And we are being sought and light. And it begins with number one, the right quality. That's what we need. Here's number two, another important thing. And remember, he's talking to us corporately, okay? We need right quality in order to be good sought, good light. Here's number two. We need the right quantity. We also need the right quantity. Now, in the kitchen, if you think of salt is in the kitchen, a little bit will do. That's all we do, right? Nobody ever throws salt at everything. We just sprinkle it, that's all. Uh, for flavor, for preservation. But if we're talking about disinfectant, if we're talking about fertilizer, how many of you know we're talking volumes here? Nobody sprinkles fertilizer. Nobody sprinkles disinfectant. We actually pour it all out, isn't it? And here's my point. If you just want to light up your room, you only need a little lamp. If you want to light up society, if you want to influence society, then I think we need more light. And to be effective, salt and light in society, we don't just need the right quality. I think we need the right quantity. In order to turn the tide of evil in this world, we need to have enough salt and light to change the trend. And that's why I believe in church growth. I believe in mega churches. Not because we want to build our own kingdom, but because we want to advance the kingdom of God together. I think there's a huge difference between what a 50-member church can do and what a 5,000-member church can do. And that's why I believe in unity movements in the body of Christ, because now we can, we can feel the difference between what a 50-member church and what a 5,000-member church can do and what a 50,000 body of Christ can do. I think it makes a difference. Are you with me? 
We need right quality. Yes, we also need right quantity. When all the salt and light come together in a nation, a nation can be transformed. Right quantity, right quality. And if we want to let the world see, we must continue to be salt and light until more and more people are saved and all come into the short shaker and they all get onto the lampstand. I think we'll make a difference. You know, the latest social studies have actually uh, done by the World Economic Forum. Actually, what they found was that if there is 25% in any gathering that is distinctly different, it can change a social trend. If there's 25% that is distinctly different in any social gathering, it can change the trend. And we're not talking here about quantity alone, but the right quality to start with. So if there's 25% of committed believers in any organization, in any corporate, in, in any school, campus, that, that can cause, that, that are good fertilizer, good disinfectant, they can cause good things to grow and effectively disinfect, prevent bad things from growing in any company, campus, family or organization. So if we want to see the world change, you want to turn Australia Godward, then let us prepare by bringing it up. We need 25% of really effective salt and light and we can actually turn the direction of our city. You get me? I think that's a good goal to work towards. And if you really want to change things, then let's keep reaching out, keep evangelizing, keep discipling until we see enough salty salt and shining light bursting into our nation. But let's not kid ourselves. Huh? If our churches are simply growing by transferring Christians from one church to another, we will never see the world change. Because the leader of transformation has not shifted until we plunder hell and populate heaven. See, and we need greater quality of salt and light. We need greater quantity of salt and light. Can I leave you one more thing? I think we need to be in the right place. Right quality, right quantity, and be found in the right place. If we really want to let our world see, we make sure that the salt and light is found in the right place. Salt is useful as a fertilizer only if it is in contact with the earth. It is useful as a disinfectant and only when it's in touch with the manure. Isn't that right? It's got to be where it's supposed to function. It's not even useful as flavouring unless it is sprinkled into the food. Light that is hidden under the bed does not show the way or expose any danger lurking in the darkness. But light must shine into the darkness in order to dispel it. What's the point of shining a torchlight at the sun? It's useless, right? What's my point? Your light must function in the place of darkness. Salt and light is meant to function in the world and not just in the church. It operates by being present in the world, in places where darkness prevails. That's why, thank God, He did not call every one of us to become pastors and missionaries, but He has called many of you into the front lines of the marketplace to be salt and light so that the world can see. Because that's where darkness prevails. We've got to function there. Come Monday morning, which is tomorrow, many of you are going to be scattered into the marketplaces of the world. And that's where you should be. That's where you should be. 
And can I challenge you, my friends, those of you who work in the marketplace, those of you who go to school and the campuses, you are not just going there to get a paycheck. You are not just going to school and campus to get another certificate, but you are there to make a difference in this broken world. Your work is a platform for you to function as salt and light. Your work takes you to places that your pastors can never go. You know, your work puts you in touch with people that your pastors may never meet. See, that's why we need you there. I cannot walk into, into Citibank tomorrow. I cannot walk into HSBC tomorrow and start preaching. Because if I do, they're going to send me to the, you know, to the mental asylum, right? But I think Gina can walk into HSBC and start preaching because she has every right to be there, to be sought and light, to fertilize the bank and to cause good things to grow and let disinfectant, you know, and be a disinfectant and stop bad things from growing. Okay, all of you who are planted wherever you are in the marketplace, you are there to be a signpost, to point people to a better king, to point people to a better kingdom. So what do we need? We need these three things. You need to be of the right quality. We need to have the right quantity. And then we need to be in the right place. So where do we go from here? I think the key is this, that we must really prepare ourselves to become effective, salt and light. Up our quality, up our quantity, and then be found in the right place. You know, I... When it, and, and, and then together, we can engage culture. Okay, let me, let me make an application here with the remaining time that I have. You know, there are, when it comes to engaging our culture, there are four possible responses that people take or that or Christians have taken. One is, some of us end up flowing with culture. You know, we just go with the flow and then we try to be politically correct wherever God has planted us. We accept what culture wants we try to be inclusive, we try to be accommodating, but when it's carried to its extreme, I think it can cross the line from being accommodating to become compromising. And then we can lose that sense of truth, you know, and what is sinful becomes acceptable. We try so hard to come across non-judgmental, but you know what? The Bible also tells us to be discerning and to actually judge between what is right and what is wrong. So we cannot just end up flowing with culture. But here's the second approach people take. We fight the culture. That's the other end of the, of the spectrum. You know, where one end, we just flow with it. The other end, we fight it. We become angry. We become combative because all we want is to hold on to our own conviction. Then we end up only listening to people who agree with our view. And after a while, we lose the sense of grace and compassion. Are you with me? And we become fighters. We're fighting culture all the time and we lose the ability to love those who actually disagree with us. And we must avoid this. And then there's another group that flee from the culture. We run away. You know, this approach is very simply to withdraw from the conversation that is going on in, in, in culture. We just withdraw from the conversation and this group basically think that it's useless to try and change the culture. We can never do it, so why bother? So what do we do? We withdraw and then we stay within the four walls of the church and do our own thing. And then this means that we were going to lose the opportunity to be sought and light in a lost and confused world. Here's what I think we should do. I think we don't flow with it, don't fight it, don't flee from it, but let's face the culture. 
face up to the culture and then we try to fix it. And, and church, we must engage culture. That's my point. We must engage culture. We must shine in a crooked and perverse world by holding out the word of truth. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And if we know we are not of this world, then we are free to engage culture and to give godly alternatives to culture. And I think this is what we need to do. Now, let me make it very practical for you in the remaining few minutes I have. Here are some specifics. For example, do you realize we, we need to exegete our culture? And I'll, I'll show you some. Cultural trend number one is this. Truth has become a social construct. Do you realize this is what we are fighting? This is what we are having to grapple with in society today. Truth has become a social construct. In today's digital culture, it's hard to differentiate between what is truth and what is my truth. Are you with me? It's hard to differentiate between what is truth and what is my truth. Whenever man is looking for answers today, do you realize we don't turn to the Bible anymore? When people are looking for truth, they don't turn to the Bible. You know where they turn to? They turn to Google. Right? If I want to find out what's true, I turn to Google. The church today, we are living as strangers, you know, in a new digital world. Our devices, by the way, has become our counsellor. This has become our entertainer, our instructor, and even our sex educator. It's all done here. See, the internet has displaced the Bible as the source of truth. Do you know, latest Barna studies, research shows that 60% of adults in the United States of America strongly agree that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know how to live a meaningful life. But only 30% of the millennials today believe that. We are losing that culture war. And, the long, and we, because we no longer have this divine plumb line, truth is no longer absolute, but it becomes relative to what the masses accept to be true. And therefore, we need to uphold truth. Hold out this word of truth wherever we go, wherever God has planted us. And it's not just by the words we say, not just by the ideas that we, we hold, but it is by the actions and the convictions of our life that we lift out this truth, we demonstrate this truth, we become the salt and the light that will hold out the truth of life. And in the social media world, we need to understand that truth is established by how many people believe it to be true. In this post-truth world, if there's enough people to form a tribe to promote whatever truth they want to promote, it becomes a new truth. So what's my point? Truth is now a social construct. It's constructed by people, enough people believing it, it becomes true. As more and more people believe in something, the actual truth becomes irrelevant. Even more so as believers, we need to stand up, hold out this truth of life. Not just by words, but by our action and conviction. Truth is what people close to me feel is true at any given moment in the world, in the world today. In fact, there is a saying that goes like this, tribalism determines truth. So if I get enough tribe, enough people into my tribe to believe in something, that things become truth. If you don't believe what I believe, I cancel you out. That's what the young people do today, right? That's what the social media world does today. If you don't believe what I believe, I cancel you out. And that's what happens sometimes in movements like the LGBT, the Black, the Black Lives Matters movement. Be careful with these things. 
If you are not part of my tribe, I cancel you out. I shut you up with insults and branding and call you names. Institutions that we use to trust, like the church, you know, the judiciary, the police, you know, the universities and the government are no longer trustworthy in the eyes of many young people today. But the good news, however, is this. Not all is lost. Huh? The good news is this. The good news is even though many don't believe in institutions, they still believe in relationship. They believe in relationship. They may not trust institutions, but they trust people, especially those who constantly show up to love them unconditionally. Meaningful relationships, therefore, make the difference in today's culture. And I think we need to recognize that. We earn the chance to speak the truth to them, to this world, if we are willing to get close to them relationally. And this is something parents, you know, fellow brothers and sisters, is something we need to learn. Church, if we want to be salt and light, we need to be in the right place. Get close to your friends, your workmates, your neighbours, and build relationship. Here's the second trend that you need to be aware of. The questions are changing. You know, when I was growing up, all we need to do is to share with somebody the four spiritual laws <laughs> or John 3.16. You just have a very good presentation and then we share with whoever we can find. And people just come to Christ. Both my wife and I, we came to Christ because somebody shared with us four spiritual laws. That's it. They just sit us down and tell you, I tell you all these things and then immediately we believe <laughs> and then we just receive Christ. And I think part of it is because those were the questions we were asking at that point in time. We were, we were very concerned that, that, about our, our, our eternity. Now, the culture has changed. To reach people today, we need to understand the questions that they are asking. And we're talking about when we tell people they need to be saved from their sin, do they even think that they need to be saved in the first place? And what is sin? What is sin to them? Those are things that we need to grapple with so that we can communicate in a way that people understand. You know, when we were growing up, I grew up in Singapore, you know. We have this place, and some of you who are Singaporeans, you remember, we had this place called Hapa Villa. Uh, it's, it's a place where they ex exhibit all the Chinese culture, you know. And so there is one, one part of the exhibit that is called the 18 Dungeons of Hell. You know, so my mom used to take me from one corner of that 18 dungeon of hell thing and inside they have all these figurines that show people, you know, if you lie, you go to hell, and then you got your tongue, you know, cut out, you know, people who commit adultery end up wow, being, being boiled in a, in, a, in a container and all this kind of thing. My mom would take me from one end, by the time I come out the other end, it put the fear of God in me, man. I'm thinking, ah, yo, I need to avoid this place. I need to avoid this place. And, and the moment someone shared with me there is a place to escape hell, I'm, I'm in, man. Because those are the questions that we were asking. But we don't live in that world anymore. Now, I'm still convinced and convicted that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There is no other name under heaven in which a man can be saved by the name of Jesus. But we do need fresh and effective ways in which we can convey the power of God to save with the generations today. So we don't just need to unpack the word. I think we need to unpack the culture. And, and we must learn to connect Jesus to the realities of life today. And when I say that, it's not just about understanding the culture. It's about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit who will lead us to reach our generations today. And I'll leave you one last one. And this is a troubling one. And that is 
Cultural trend number three is faith is slowly being privatized. Faith is now privatized. Many of us have, have read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, and heard many sermons from, from the Great Commission. You know, Barna research has shown 96% of practicing Christians in the millennial generation agrees that we should be witnesses for Christ, but only 47%. Uh, but 47% of this 96% say that it is wrong to evangelize people of other religious faith. Because we have come to this place where we, where we, we don't want to be offensive and actually try to tell somebody you need to come to Jesus. <laughs> we need to be witnesses, but we don't want to end up preaching. But here's the thing. We need to realize that we are salt and light planted in different parts of society so that we, we actually cause good things to grow and we actually stop bad things from growing. We are light to expose that which is darkness and to actually exhibit that which is good. And the best antidote to the advancement of evil is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel needs to be preached be it in the form of a conversation with someone before we can see transformation. Romans 10, verse 13 and 14. We must embrace this again, church. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them. I think we need to be intentional about relating and engaging in a culturally relevant way. And then we can effectively address moral decay, love the unlovable, and reach the lost. Amen. And I'm challenging you today to, number one, recognize who you are. You are salt and light. Salt of the earth. You are the fertilizer that make good things grow wherever God has planted you. You are the disinfectant that stop bad things from growing. You are the light of this world. You exhibit that which is good and then you expose that which is not good. And then the world can see. And then we choose instead of running away from culture, instead of fighting culture, I think we want to face up to it understand what it is and then engage and relate. Let God use you wherever you are. Amen. Let God use you as salt and as light. Amen. Why don't you stand together to your feet with me? I want to encourage everyone to just recapture once again your identity as salt and light and give thought to this. And let's not live our Christian life just doing the same thing again and again, but it's about understanding who we really are. You are fertilizer. You are disinfectant. You are the light of this world, salt of the earth. Amen. I'd like us to sing this song in closing and make this our commitment. Then in a few moments, I will pray. Let's make this our commitment song this morning wherever God takes you this Monday, you'll be sought and light. Amen. Let's sing it.